If you need a Bible, raise your hand and you guys will be glad to give you one. And take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. A couple of things I want to mention to you before we get uh, into today's message. I still, if you, uh, uh, over the last month or so, if you brought some food for Scott Bowe's family, uh, for Scott and the family, some stuff in my office that uh, may belong to you, you can check it out if you're leaving today. Just walk in there, look slain. Sitting on my desk. Also, even though I'm a week late, I appreciate Taylor reminding me, the uh, Daily Bread devotional books are out there now. They're in the lobby and over here in the hallway. You pick those up, so grab you one, the cool little devotional books talked about. I've been using them since the 1970s in the radio Bible class, one of our missionaries that we support. And uh, really, I enjoy it. It's a neat little way. It's been 10 to 15 minutes doing a little simple devotional every day. Even if you do something else, it's always encouraging or challenging. So they're out there and absolutely free. Where can you get anything free? Nowhere but in the lobby. And then you've got my CD out there if you'd like that. I heard a Christian comedian one time, he was talking, I had known him, gotten to know him, and we had him a trip with us, and he said he had a new record out, that's how long ago it was. He said he had a new record out, it was on Miracle Records and Tapes. If it was, if it was a hit, it was. He, said, I've got, he said, I've had over a million copies printed, I've got over a million copies tonight. All right, 1 Corinthians 10, we'll turn there. It's another momentous occasion today. You ready? I'm going to finish this. I know you don't believe that. But when we walk out of here today, we're going to be finished with this outline, one way or the other. I'm going to wrap up the series on uh, freedom, and I'm praying about what God would, would have do next. But uh, I want to wrap this up. This is an extremely important principle that we must, as believers, we're set free by Christ. Peter was even singing about leading us in worship today about truth, truth setting you free. And you hear me talk about it all the time. But it's so important we understand at the top of your handout, you've seen now for three weeks, you're tired of looking at, we are free to be a servant. We are a bond servant of Jesus Christ, one who has chosen to serve him, and we serve each other. We're free to be a servant. We already talked about number one. We are, we are free to be sensitive to each other, to other believers and non-believers, but specifically we're focusing on within the church and in carrying the gospel outside. And then we saw that in 1 Corinthians 8, where, where Paul illustrates the stumbling block principle, that even though I've been set free by Christ in certain areas, the gray areas, I will choose not to exercise my freedom because it's better for others. I'm sensitive to where they are. And then chapter 9, he used a specific example from his own life, that he was free to take money as an apostle or to be paid for what he was doing, but he chose not to. He was free in that area. So today, and if you'll notice on the bottom under number two, so important, it's what we wrapped up last week. The reason for all that he was talking about and exercising this freedom and understanding that we are free, but our goal is always to win the more, win those, whether they're Jewish, whether they're Gentile, within the church, to share, to encourage, to serve each other, and then to take the gospel outside for the gospel's sake that some would be saved so that we can bring others into the body of Christ. Because here's the bottom line. We talked about this in my class this morning. We know Jesus is coming back one day. That's our great hope. We know as believers we will be together forever in eternity. The hope, confident expectation that we have as Christians is that we will all be together forever. And we know Christ is coming back, called the Blessed Hope, for, to get his church. And we are going to be together forever in paradise. 
But there are a lot of people who don't know Jesus. There are a lot of people that aren't Christian. There are a lot of people who need to be born again. And that is why we are here, to spread the gospel for the gospel's sake. Otherwise, why doesn't God just take us on home? Because he's still saving people. He's still extending his grace and his mercy. He's withholding. He's asking. He's sharing through us. What an incredible privilege to be the body of Christ. Paul writes in to the church of Corinth in another place. We, the church, has been given the word of reconciliation to share, to hold forth. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation or the service of going out and sharing with our world the truth of the gospel. So we get to chapter 10 today. In chapter 10, he shifts gears still on the principle, the stumbling block principle. He's going to give them another example, an example from the nation of Israel. So what I want to do is kind of just walk through the first part of this so you could see what he's trying to get them to understand, that you've been free, but don't use your freedom in the wrong way because you'll probably end up putting yourself in difficult circumstances that lead into sin or you may harm another brother or sister in Christ, or hurt your testimony to a lost world. So when he gets to chapter 10, he's going to use an example from the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament, an example for them from the nation of Israel about being spiritual to others. But I want to begin in the beginning of chapter 10. I want to just walk through what he says here, and then we'll wrap it up in the latter part of chapter 10. So chapter 10, verse 1. He's going to give them an example from the nation of Israel. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Remember, he's already given them the principle, the stumbling block principle. He's illustrated it from his own life, and he says, Moreover, brethren, let me give you another example that you can really understand. The nation of Israel have been in bondage to Egypt for 400 plus years. God miraculously, through Moses, the deliverer and the lawgiver, sets them free. You remember the story. And notice the repetition in the first three verses of the word all. All, all, all. He says it over and over. So he brings out the entire nation. We're going to come back to that in a moment. He brings them out of Egypt. There was about, hang with me, about two million of them when they left Egypt. Remember that number. It was about two million of them when they left Egypt. How many of them did God free from bondage in Egypt? What? All. He freed them all. He led them out of bondage. You remember the Passover story and the the tremendous, that final miracle, that final plague upon Pharaoh in Egypt. And he sends the death angel and the Passover and he sets them free. Pharaoh says, go. And so they leave. And then Pharaoh even changes his mind again. But all of them were set free by God's miraculous, powerful, omnipotent hand. He sets them free incredibly leads them out of this bondage in Egypt. They were all blessed by that. Over and over, he says, all. Look at that for a couple of examples. All were under the cloud. The cloud, without getting into great detail and going back, the cloud is the Shekinah glory of God. And the tabernacle, and it led them. The pillar, of, you remember the story, the cloud would lead them. The Shekinah glory of God. All passed through the sea. When they got to the Red Sea, what are they thinking? Uh-oh, we're in trouble here. And again, miraculously, what does God do? He parts that incredible ocean, and they walk over through the ocean on dry ground. And the Egyptian army tries to follow them, and what happens to them? They drown. 
So he miraculously takes them all through the Red Sea. They all drank the, uh, ate the spiritual food. Manna, God provided them physical sustenance that took care of them, just simply gave them bread that they'd go out and pick up. They all had the same spiritual drink. We got water out of a rock. They were all baptized into Moses or identified into Moses. Moses led them, God's deliverer, God's lawgiver. Notice verse 4. They all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was what? Whom? You see that? Man, what an incredible principle. Reminding them, how long has the Christ, also same word for Messiah, God's standard has always been the same. You're saved by trusting him. There was a Messiah, a Christ coming one day. That's who was leading them. That, it, it's tying together the history of Israel, the Old Testament, New Testament, so we can understand it even to this day. It's always been God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We have a lot more revelation than they did. We have a lot less excuses to reject Christ, yet as a society and a human race, we do, do we not, by and large. That's why it's so important for those of us church to understand. We are here to proclaim the Christ, one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, Paul wrote to Timothy. We are here to proclaim that Christ, that he is the Messiah that the Jews look for. Non-believing Jews are still looking for that Messiah today. Jesus said, I am. He was the one walking with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He's the one who created the universe. He's the one that brought them out of Egypt. He's the one who provided for them in the wilderness. He is and always has been God, the second person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So he is the Christ. He was the one that's delivering them. Moses was the type. Jesus is the fulfillment. Moses was the, uh, uh, Joshua was a type. Jesus was the fulfillment. You can go on and on in the Old Testament. Now look at verse 5. What's the first word? What? But. Most of you have a translation Apostle Paul used. It's but. My favorite word in the Bible. He set them all free. Now notice verse 5. But with most. How many did I tell you that he set free? And how many was that? How many? Two million. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Despite God's incredible blessings for them, delivering them as miraculously as he did, they wandered in that wilderness for how long? And how many of the two million went into the promised land? Do you know? Two. Joshua and Caleb. Two. They'd all been set free. How many of them responded properly? Two. Even Moses was not allowed in. Only two, Joshua and Caleb, because they went in and said, God has already given us land, because what had God said? I've already given you this land, it's yours. They trusted and believed God, and the rest said, no, those, those Canaanites are huge. And they were. We can't go in there. Joshua and Caleb said, let's take it. Ouch, God had given it to us. Trusted. God had set them all free. Notice verse 7. Verse 6. These things became our examples. We are to learn from their mistakes to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. That's the summary principle about this example. Why did they end up wandering in the wilderness, not being allowed into the promised land? Because they lusted after evil. They had been set free, and yet their response was, nah, let's make us an idol. Look at what he says. Do not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose to play. 
while Moses was on Mount Sinai getting the law from God to carry them forward into the promised land and live as the called out ones to give the message of the one true God to the Canaanites and the pagans, the heathens that they were surrounded by. As Moses was on the mountain with God for that 40 days getting God's word, what were they doing at the foot of the mountain? They were building a golden calf, an idol, and asking, having Aaron, Moses' right-hand man, telling him to do what? Build us an idol to lead us where? Back to Egypt. They were set free, but were looking back to where they'd been in bondage and saying, we want to go back to that. Don't use freedom in the wrong way because it will lead you back into sin. Verse 8. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. An example, again, you can read this in the, the first five books of the Bible. You read the examples. They brought prostitutes into the camp, and God struck down 23,000 of them in one day for their disobedience and their immorality. They were idolaters. They were immoral. Verse 9, nor let us tempt Christ. Notice Christ, God, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. They started questioning God. Why did you bring us out of Egypt through Moses? Bring us here to die in the wilderness, Moses. What's going on? Does God know what he's doing? And God sent them the poison serpent, got their attention. Verse 10, nor complain, uh-oh, some of them also complained, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. They revolted against Moses' leadership, and complained, moaned, and groaned. They were examples. Now look at verse 11. All these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, such as common demand. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. In the context of what we're looking at, notice what he's saying to them. Learn from the example of the Israelites, set free by God miraculously, and then all they wanted to do was moan and complain and go back into bondage. If you're not careful when you're free, you will fall into temptation because you take freedom and you exercise it the wrong way. What should have been their attitude toward God after he delivered them from Egypt? What should it have been? Gratitude, don't you think? They were having to make bricks daily. That's all they did. They were owned by Pharaoh of Egypt, and they were God's people, and he set them free. And then they wanted to worship a golden calf instead of worshiping who? The one true God. They didn't want to listen to Moses, the lawgiver, and the deliverer that God had used to set them free. They wanted to go back into bondage again. They weren't interested in serving each other. They were interested in themselves. They weren't interested in going and taking the promised land and living as God's people before the pagans. They were interested only in themselves. They didn't want to listen to God. They didn't want to follow God. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. Now, as we wrap this up, here's the last point that I want to see, this idea of being free. We're free to be a servant because that's the spiritual thing we need to do on behalf of each other. The spiritual response to others is that we will be their servant. Verse 23, chapter 10, drop down to there. First thing I want you to note is that we are here for edification. Paul writes, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but let each one the other's well-being. Verse 23, if you, don't, if you write in your Bible, put this next to it. Verse 23, if you don't, write it on the person next to you. You'll have it with you later. Verse 23 is the summary of this principle. Look at it again. 
All things are lawful for me. The summary of the stumbling block principle. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Not all things edify. What does the word edify mean? This is an edifice. What is that another word for? It's a building. I may be free in conscience and before Christ in a gray area to do something, but if it is a stumbling block for you, it's not helpful, and it's not for your edification, then I need to sacrifice my freedom in that area so that you might be edified. For example, if you're born again, if you know Jesus as your Savior, if you are a Christian, you have been given a spiritual gift, at least one. Most of you probably been given more than one. Why did God give you those gifts? So you can brag? In this very book, later in the chapters to follow shortly, there's a whole treatise on spiritual gifts because the church at Corinth spending their time bragging and fighting over spiritual gifts like, ooh, look at me, I speak in tongues. Anybody ever fight about that anymore? I, I speak in tongues. Or I get a word from the Lord. I got this word of prophecy. And Paul writes to them, for chapter 12, he talks about spiritual gifts. Chapter 14, he talks about spiritual gifts. What does he talk about in chapter 13? Don't turn there. Many of you have memorized chapter or you've heard it many times. 1 Corinthians 13 is also known as the love chapter. And in 1 Corinthians 13, here's what he says. Don't turn there. Don't use your little device. Flip over there. Quit looking at ESPN and get back in the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 13, in the middle of talking about spiritual gifts, bookend either side, he spends a whole chapter talking about love. Here's what he says. If I can speak with every tongue ever known to man and I don't have love, if I have faith that I can take a mountain and move it from here to here, but I don't have love, I'm just noise. I'm just a clanging symbol. I am, I have nothing. He was using hyperbole to make a point. You think speaking in tongues is a big deal, but if I could speak with every tongue that God has ever given to man to speak and I don't love you, it is a waste of time. If I could give you every prophecy ever given by God to anyone and I don't love you, it's a waste of time. Please get this principle. Why are you part of the body of Christ? Could you please look at the top of your handout one more time? Free to be a what? A servant. Jesus Christ only claimed to have one character attribute. You know what it was? Only time he ever said anything about a claimed a character attribute. You know what it was? He said, I am humble. I am meek and lowly heart. Both mean humble. The essence of being a Christian, the essence of being follower of Jesus Christ, of being a believer priest, is that you have to be humble. You have to be looking at others and saying, what can I do to build you up? And I think so often in subtle ways, sometimes not so subtle, but in good evangelical churches, a lot of times subtly what we do is just look around and say, what can I get out of it as opposed to what can I get to? What can I do for you, not what can you do for me? Edification. The summary, verse 23, the summary of the principle. If it doesn't build up, don't do it. Seek the things. Look at verse 23 one more time. Seek the things that edify. Look at verse 24. Let no one seek his own, but let each one, implied in Greek, seek the other's well-beings. What I do, if I have speaking gifts, 
then I exercise my speaking gifts for your edification. If I have ministry gifts, then I exercise my ministry gifts for your edification. I don't know if Donnie's in the room or not. I won't bear in the room. Is he out in the hall? So good, let's leave him out there. He may have already left. Donnie works for us, and many of you know Donnie Curlin. And Donnie has gift service. He has a, has a mission heart. He loves physically, hands-on, doing things for other people. Chris Ellison at our other campus that way. I have speaking gifts. They ask me to do something physically. I'm, I like to do it. I want to do it, but I ain't good at it. We were talking about this morning in my class. When Mary kept telling me all week something was wrong with her van. So I drove it a couple of days and nothing wrong with it. Me being the kind of wizard I am. I said, Mary, ain't nothing wrong with this van. So yesterday we get ready to leave. Going over to her brother's house to breakfast. We get in the car. She drives. She starts it up. She puts it in reverse. You hear, boom. And I said, Mary, I told you there was something wrong with this van. Now, I can, and I did. I got out. I said, get out. I'll, you know, being the man, get out. I'll, I said, one of us has got to push. Get out. <laughs> so I get in the car. You know, it's in reverse. And I said, you, I don't know, Mary. And I thought, I said, I think you got it hung on the lip of the, of the garage. Give it some gas. He said, Randy, it's broken. I said, Mary, don't talk to me. So I get in. I said, get out. So I get in the, I get in the seat. And, you know, I, I had it. And she had put it back in park. So I put it in reverse. Don't hear any noise. I said, see? I give it a little gas. It ain't going anywhere. I said, Mary, I think it's. So I said, all right. Let me see if I can get it back in the garage. If not, you're going to have to push. So I, I managed to get it back in the garage, and in mechanical wisdom, I called my son-in-law and said, Ryan, I need you to come look at my van because I think something's wrong with it. When you put it in gear and it won't move, I got a college degree, look. When you put it in gear and it won't move, that tells you there, there's something wrong here. It's not my gift, but my son-in-law, man, dude could fix anything. Now, he might not be able to fix my car, but he can look at it and say, Randy, here's what you need to do. I can't even do that. You know, I drive it in, they're going to say, you, uh, your Johnson rod is broken. And I'll say, okay, is that, what's that, 3,000? Yeah, okay, here, fix it. I don't know. Well, I'm an idiot. But boy, if they want to know what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, I can, I, they probably want to know that when I get to the mechanic, right? While y'all are working on the transmission, I'm going to teach 1 Corinthians 10. We'll trade off. Probably not. It's not my gift. You have a spiritual gift, at least one, and God wants you to exercise it on behalf of others. It's not about you. Edification. In 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this. You know, don't turn to the, but just listen. Again, I do, uh, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ. We do all things, beloved, for your edification. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes these words. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, attitude of humility, let each esteem others better than himself. You see that? That's Christian mindset. You esteem them, that each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You're involved in life because you love them. You want help in whatever way you can. Second point, verse 31, drop down to there if you would. Edification, and the second is glorification. Look at verse 31 as he sums this up. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to what? All right, I don't know if you write in your Bible or not, or if you're not, write it on the person next to you again. Bullet points. Verse 23 was the summary of this principle. Verse 31 is the summary of the entire Bible. You see that? I believe in verse 31, you have the summary of the entire Bible. Would you look at it again with me? As a, as a believer, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do all to what? Augustine said the chief end of man is to do what? Glorify God. What does that mean? That whether I'm interacting with you and this principle of freedom, or I'm sharing the gospel with someone else, or I'm living my life, just living my life, I exist 
to glorify God. We exist to glorify God. What does that mean? The literal Greek means to give a correct estimate of what something is worth. Or another way to put it is you want people to value God like you do. You want them to see how much he means. We worship God because he is worthy of worship. We worship nothing else because nothing else is worthy. Nothing else is God. We esteem God highly because God is above all. We give God the due, the worth that he is due because he is God. And we want others to know that. Glorifying God is honoring him so that people see who he really is. Think about, here we are in the United States, supposedly the most enlightened culture that's ever lived on the planet, and how many skewed views do we have of who God is? Our job, our reason for existence as church, as an individual Christian, as church, is to glorify God. Let people see who he really is, what he's really worth. Who is this God we say we follow? Glorification. It simply means the renown, the honor, phrase Grant Nixon loves to use. It's real popular. A lot of younger theologians these days, you want to make God famous. You want to make God famous. We find out who he really is. What is he really worth? By serving, here's the context and the understanding. By serving each other, this principle of being free, not only will they see how much God means to you, others around them will see. As I serve you, the people around will see how that happens. When Donnie and the people working, when they go somewhere, and they like last weekend, I think even maybe this weekend, they go and do little. I had someone this week, I forgot where it was. Um, he said they knew I, they knew I was pastor Christ Church Arlington. And they were telling me about a group of people Donnie had taken. I think it was to Covington, I'm not mistaken, and done some work. He said he said I saw your bus. They were from your church. I I didn't even know they went. It was a t- it got his attention, didn't it? Got his attention. Just go and do it. A lot of times you do things maybe nobody knows but God. That's the way it should. Why do you do it? God glorified you. Know who he really is. And then the last point, verse 32. Give no offense. Either to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God. That's what he's been talking about. Notice the Jews, the Greeks, and then the church. That's everybody. Give no offense. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Verse 33, goal, that they people may be saved. Through the church, in the church, we build each other up that we can then go out and share the gospel, that men might be saved. I want to end this whole series with, with a true story told by Dr. Harry Ironside years ago. It's a true story. Harry Ironside was at a picnic of, of believers. Christians were together. They were having a picnic because you, you have to eat chicken. That's what Christians get together and eat chicken. There was a man there that had been a Muslim, was conver- had been converted, had been, become a Christian from Islam, was born again. And a young lady, and his name was actually Muhammad Ali. Not the Muhammad Ali, but that's what the young man's name was. Spelled a little different. His name was Muhammad Ali. He had gotten saved. He'd come to Christ. The girl at the picnic went over and offered him some sandwiches. She had a basket full of sandwiches. Now, note, he came from Islam, and he's born again. She offers him a basket of sandwiches, and he says, what do you have? She says, well, all we have left is ham and pork. And he said, well, no, thank you. I don't want any. She goes, well, I thought you had become a Christian. She said, well, I have. She goes, well, then you're free to eat this meat. He goes, you're right. I am. But my family is still Islam. And when I go home, the first thing my dad's going to ask me is if they got you eating that pagan meat yet. And if I want to stay in my dad's home and tell him about my I need to say to him I didn't eat. You see that? The thing is, it's more important that I share the gospel with dad is that I exercise myself. I can, he said, I can't eat it, but I choose not to. Because it's more important to share the gospel with dad's family. Boy, I hope you get that. Because you are, it's not about you. It's about others. So many times, and I will pray after this, so many times after I became a Christian as a young man, had someone ask me about it this week. 
as a 16-year-old young man, and, and my I did not have a, and I've shared with many of you, I did not have a relationship with my dad at all growing up. It wasn't good. And after I got, I got married at 19, moved out, never went back. Well, it was ironic. I was in the greeting card business, and one of our primary, and just like God has a sense of humor, one of our primary carriers, the industry that I was in, Jones Truck Line. My dad ran Jones Truck Line. And I had to call, start calling my dad when shipment were lost. I'd have to call my dad, get it straightened out. So we had to start communicating. And I, I remember the first time I called him, they, their terminal was over on Brooks Road. And I remember they called and I said, I need to speak to Richard Lockley. I said, who is that? I said, Richard Lockley, he's been working there since 1947. They said, well, what does he do? I said, well, he's the loss prevention man and he runs. They always said, you mean Slim? I said, yeah, that's my dad. Would you get him for me? And they didn't even know his name. And I never knew my dad. I knew, I knew that was my dad's nickname, but I didn't know it. Slim, but in the process, and I, I did that for seven years, and at age 30, for the ministry, and God convicted, you need to share the gospel dad in the right way. I, my attitude always, dad, you know, hell, my, his attitude, shut up, you out. I'd seen him punch my brother out. I didn't want any of that. So I remember he, he used to hang out to this same beer drink every day he'd go to and he got off work. And I'd never go in there because I'm a Christian. I mean, even though he, got, he went there, and God convicted, if you want to talk to your dad, share the gospel, you need to get in there before he gets drunk, talk to him. And I remember the first time I ever walked in. And I know none of you ever go in beer joints. So when you walk in, you can't see. The windows are black. Everything's black. And so you walk, you're like Clint Eastwood. You know, you open the door and you're standing there in the bright sunlight behind you. And everybody can see you and you can't see a thing. So I just walk in and, and I said, I'm looking for uh, Slim. My dad had been going there since 50. This was 1985. He was in so much, he was behind the bar. When, there was, when they would take break, he'd work. He, and he looked up. Well, he thought somebody had died or something. He said, Cabbage Head, what are you doing here? I said, Dad, I really don't like being called that. He said, okay, Cabbage Head, what are you doing here? And I said, man, I, I said, Dad, I just came I said, talk to see how you're doing. He couldn't believe it. So we, and I started going by on a regular basis and talk with the gospel. And I finally, and then later on, my dad died of Lou Gehrig's horrible die. And I, and I realized he quit drinking shortly. It had nothing to do with me, but he quit drinking. He's taking good care of my mom. He'd never done that when we were, and I realized my dad was a guy I liked. He had a sense of, he was a lot like me. He'd done some horrible things when I was growing up. But God said, Dad, I just died for share the gospel. Go love him. It was hard for me to love that man. You go show him. And before he died, we talked a lot about spiritual and the gospel. And he indicated to me that he was born again. I don't know. What I do know is I had to out my zone and say, I'm going to go do that. That's got to be more to bow your heads. Lord, we thank you that Jesus died on the cross. Seems so simple, yet it's so profound. If he had, he had not died on the cross, we'd have nothing to talk about. He rose from the dead. He conquered death. He paid for sin so that I can be free. I pray, Lord, I'd use my freedom properly to share the gospel, to encourage other believers, to meet people where they are, because that's what Jesus, meet them where they are, love them, be willing to sacrifice my freedom if I need to, to share with them, to edify the believers, to share the gospel with those who are not. So I pray, Lord, you would make us as Christians and Christ Church as an entity where people are loved, welcome, and where the truth is spoken in love. And I just pray, Father, for somebody seated here is not, a, they would say yes to gospel, yes to Christ. And Lord, thank you for dying in my peace. Please save me, set me free so that I can Christ. We thank you, Father, for Jesus.